0: the second case of its kind in a string of cases in a short five-year period and out of the same area of Los Angeles County. Poor excuse for a mother, Heather Maxine Barron, and her loser on-again-off-again boyfriend, Karim Ernesto Leva, lived in Palmdale, California with their eight children aged from 11 months through to 12 years old. Inside their modest home, they unleashed horrors unimaginable on a young boy, Anthony Avalos, and his siblings. Family, friends, and teachers of Anthony had been concerned for some time and had tried to involve the Los Angeles Department of Children and Family Services, DCFS, but even after numerous reports, too many to fathom, Anthony and his siblings seemed to slip through the cracks and were not protected by those who should have been protecting them. One day, though, the abuse had been so bad that Anthony didn't get up anymore. It was too late. Anthony's broken little body had been beaten and bruised, and now it was over. This sweet little boy had his entire life ahead of him, and now at just 10 years of age, he was dead. Welcome to Veritas True Crime Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Veritas True Crime Podcast. I'm so glad that you could join me. I'm your host, Jesse. The case that we have for you today is of little 10-year-old Anthony Avalos from Palmdale, California. I've been trying to track down some of the grand jury transcripts that were made public and unsealed in October 2018. However, to get them, it's an entire process, which includes getting the, requesting them from the court reporter. Um, the court reporter owns them. Fortunately, I've had to give up on this because the transcripts are apparently more than 1,500 pages long, and the cost was going to be 773 US dollars. So, not happening. Um I'm going to do the best that I can with the facts that are available in the public domain. I have actually included the medical examiner's report. I purchased this from the medical examiner in California and I've included this as premium content on Patreon if anybody would like to have a look and read through. Before we get started, I feel the need to let you know that this episode contains extreme child abuse and it may be difficult for some listeners to hear. Your discretion is always advised. I'll try to warn you if things get a little too triggering as we go along. Now, some of you may have seen the Netflix documentary about Gabriel Fernandez. This case is eerily similar to that case. It is even from the same place in California, Palmdale. Gabriel was abused and tortured over many months until ultimately he was beaten on uh, May 22nd, 2013, and he died two days later in the same hospital where Anthony died. Anthony is mentioned in the documentary, and we'll be delving into his case here. The matter is ongoing in the Los Angeles County Court. The two dropkicks, Heather and Kareem, have both pleaded not guilty to the charges, and they've been in and out of pretrial meetings. One was just last week. Um, Their trial is still pending, so uh, there are two more pretrial conferences in August and September, and I don't know when a date has been set. I'll be coming back to the case more as details are available and we'll mention them to you in other episodes. I had some feedback regarding the extra layers that I had for the episode for Nicole and Bieber recently. The feedback from some of you was that you enjoyed that extra content that I included, so I'm going to continue to try and do that as much as possible in my future episodes. I've also had quite a few likes on the Facebook page this last week, so welcome to everybody. Hope you're all listening. If you do like my episodes, please go by and give a five-star rating. Some of you may have noticed that there are ads that play at certain points in the show, and I would really like to get rid of them if at all possible but the only way to do that is to grow the audience so hopefully more of you will sign on to patreon and enjoy the premium content that i'm creating you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash veritas crime and for the facebook page see the link on the episode page actually it's on every episode page or on veritastruecrime.com all right without further ado let's delve into the murder of 10 year old anthony nolan avalos First off, have a listen to this clip from our friends at ABC7 Los Angeles. In that 911 call from June 20th, 2018, we can hear Heather Barron blubbering and sobbing. Deputies and paramedics attended the Barron home by around 12.15pm and they found Anthony unresponsive inside the apartment. Barron reported that Anthony had been injured after a fall. Horrific new details revealed in the murder of a 10-year-old Lancaster boy. For the first time, we are hearing the 911 call his mother made the day before he died. Today, a judge unsealed transcripts and chilling evidence prosecutors presented to the grand jury. Heather Baron and her boyfriend, Kareem Leva are accused of beating, starving, and torturing Anthony Avalos. In June, Baron called 911 saying he wasn't breathing and was vomiting and bleeding.
1: Okay, and who needs our help today? What happened? My son, my ten-year-old son. He okay. He to he woke up he fell, like, he okay, listen, does he have a fever? No, no, he doesn't have a fever. Is he breathing? Jesus, he okay, listen to me.
0: Listen, listen. In case you weren't able to understand, here is what was said. Okay, who needs our help today? What happened?
1: My son, my 10-year-old son. Okay. He went to sleep and he woke up and he felt, like, unresponsive.
0: Okay, listen, does he have a fever?
1: No, he doesn't have a fever.
0: Is he breathing?
1: He isn't breathing.
0: Okay, listen to me. He's blue, please. Born May 4th, 2008, Anthony Avalos attended El Dorado Elementary School in Lancaster, California. He was an honour roll student and he was proud to be the fastest runner in his fourth grade class. He loved to go fishing and play football. He loved to laugh and his laughter was infectious. He loved being a big brother to his siblings and enjoyed dancing with his cousins. Anthony would randomly run up to uncles and aunts and kiss or hug them and tell them that he loved them. He also loved superheroes. He wanted to grow up and be someone who helps people and was brave enough to stand up to bullies even at his young age. This little boy was so full of life Despite the smiling photos of Anthony, his life was 10 years of torture, doled out by his mother, the person who is supposed to love and protect you, and her piece of shit boyfriend Kareem Lever. Baron and Leva are currently behind bars. They had their bail set at two million dollars each, which I hope no one ever pays. The matter is currently ongoing as I've mentioned before, They've both entered pleas of not guilty and they've been appearing at pre-trial conferences every so often at the Clara Shortridge Fault's court. Two more are scheduled in August and September of 2022. Their trial is pending and no date has currently been set. So I will follow and I'll report back to you later. Anthony first came to the attention of the DCFS in February of 2013. It was alleged that a grandparent, who didn't live with the family in the home, had sexually abused the then four-year-old Anthony. That grandparent was none other than his mother's father. She would leave the children with her father so she could go to work, and it was during these visits that the piece of shit would take advantage of Anthony, and it's believed some of the other children as well there was enough information to substantiate the claim to dcfs and anthony was referred for services and given a medical examination he was then taken from his home to live with family members where he continued to receive counseling and other public services the same allegation was reported to dcfs in march of 2013 however dcfs deemed anthony's mother heather barron as appropriately safe and closed the matter they returned anthony then to his mother's care the case against heather's father was dropped by mutual agreement baron and laver continued to ask baron's father to look after their children even after they were completely aware of the allegations of sexual abuse on anthony Maria Barron married to Heather's brother began alerting the DCFS in around 2015 after she noticed that the children were coming to her home with bruises and other injuries and when she asked them about it they would tell her that Leva had caused them. The children also confided in Maria that Leva had been locking them up in small spaces like closets and that they were having to urinate and defecate on the floor while they were locked up. There were more than 10 other allegations made to the DCFS about sexual, emotional and physical abuse of Anthony and his siblings in the home. However, even with some of them being substantiated, no action was being taken. Some of the calls to DCFS alleged that Anthony and his siblings were being denied basics like food and water, they were being beaten, forced to crouch for hours on end, being locked in small spaces and had no access to the bathroom. They were beaten, bruised, forced to fight each other and forced to eat from the trash. On December 29, 2014, allegations of emotional and physical abuse as well as general neglect were made again to the DCFS against Heather Barron. The report named Anthony and three of his siblings as the victims of Barron. The DCFS determined that the emotional abuse was unfounded. The physical abuse was inconclusive and the general neglect was substantiated. Heather Barron agreed to VFM, which is Voluntary Family Management with the DCFS. The agreement was entered into from April 29th and ended December 4th, 2014. During the VFM, Barron attended a domestic violence program and a parenting program. Another report was made of physical and emotional abuse on October 4th, 2014, and again the DCFS said that those reports were inconclusive and unfounded. On November 5, 2014, a report against Heather Barron was made again that one of Anthony's siblings was suffering physical abuse, and the caseworkers closed the file with the note, quote-unquote, evaluated out. For those who don't know, evaluated out occurs when the allegations do not constitute the appropriate child abuse referrals. There are some instances where the reports should be referred out to other agencies like law enforcement for investigation. To give you an idea of the law that was in operation and the rules used to make their determinations, the DCFS referred to the following. For the harm of injury to a child to be classified as abuse, neglect or exploitation, the act or lack of action must meet the definition of abuse, neglect or exploitation found in Penal Code section 11165.1 through 11165.6. The parent, legal guardian or out-of-home caregiver must have been alleged to have personally and seriously harmed the child or committed an act that places the child at serious risk of physical harm. or. Permitted or should have known that another individual committed an act that seriously harmed the child, or was unwilling or unable to protect the child from serious harm or injury. To know what exactly it was that led to the DCFS determining that some of these reports were inconclusive or unfounded, we would need the reports themselves, and unfortunately, we don't have them. From September 2014 through to July 2017, Heather Baron birthed three more children. The father was Kareem Lever. Kareem Laver, born December 23rd, 1985, is an ugly piece of shit. He is less than scum on the bottom of your shoe. He liked himself a tough guy. He was six foot one, approximately weighing 200 pounds. He thought that he was something special. Allegedly, he was a member of the MS-13 violent criminal gang. This fact was apparently not enough to deem that the home situation was unsafe for the children. Heather Maxine Barron was born September 29, 1989. She and Anthony's father Victor Avalos were just teenagers when they had children together. They had a dysfunctional relationship and ultimately they decided that they would split. Anthony's father moved to Mexico. Heather decided to stay in the United States, raising Anthony and his two siblings, Raphael and Destiny. She was receiving monthly wealth, fair payments for the children, as well as making ends meet with a part-time job at Subway. The Deputy Director of the LA County DCFS stated that Anthony had recently told his mother that he liked boys and girls. Barron told a DCFS caseworker that Leva had overheard the conversation she'd had with Anthony, where he had told her about it. This led to an increase in the amount of abuse, abuse that Anthony was enduring. Anthony's aunt Maria said that it would have taken great courage for him to make such an admission in that home with Leva. Anthony's uncle, David Barron, and his wife, Maria had filed complaints to DCFS and to his last school. No action was ever taken. One such complaint described how Leva had dangled Anthony by his ankles from a second story window of their home and then beaten him. A similar incident had happened to Raphael, Anthony's brother, from the staircase in their home. I'd like you to have a listen. Here's some audio from The Call, which was publicly released in 2018. This is David Barron and his call to the DCFS.
2: Um. He said Kareem dragged him on the floor.
0: He you know, slammed him to the floor. Like he'd pick
2: him up and throw him on the floor. And, and Are they like rough thinking. playing or is he doing this and intentionally he's to cause harm? His, he, um, he, he's admitted he doesn't like the kid, so he just treats him like crap just because he doesn't like him. Because he's too hyper and stuff, so he. He locks them in their rooms, and he was grabbing them by his ankles, so they have a two-story house, mm-hmm. and he would hang them upside down by his uh, ankles and start shaking them, like, oh, I'm going to drop you if you don't stop, and like, I was thinking, if he slipped one time, that would kill the baby, the kid, so. Okay, when did all of this happen? What um, We just found out about it, but I guess it's been going on for months now, and they, they uh, my sister and, and him said if they would tell anybody that they would be in a lot of trouble, And then when I saw the bruises, I asked um, Rafael, like, what happened? And he told me, so I separated the kids and I asked each one individually so that way they couldn't just say the same story. Mm -hmm. And they all told me the same exact thing. He wouldn't feed them until a mommy came home. He would give them cold showers. And then, uh, do you know what an Indian burn is? No. Is that like a carpet? No, it's like uh, you grab somebody's arms and you just start twisting your arms. Oh, Okay. And he was doing that to them also, and then throwing dirty diapers at their heads. And So your sister and Kareem stated that if they told anyone, they would be, they they would be in trouble? Yes, and then um, after Destiny told us, uh, we, we let my sister know, like, do you know that Kareem's abusing your child? And she's like, no, 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 it's not true. And then when she took her home, she, um, she kept telling her, you need to say it's not true, it's not true. And Destiny said, I'm not going to lie. I need to tell the police the truth because we told her we were going to uh, tell the cops. And so she grounded Destiny and locked her in the room and didn't let her come out until the next day.
0: So as you can hear, a lot of people were aware and they were trying to help these kids. Maria said that she had often noticed bruises and marks on Anthony and the other children from time to time. The fact that he chose to reveal that he liked boys and girls was indeed extremely brave, especially in the home with Leva. The sheriff's department later said that they didn't believe homophobia had played a part in any of the abuse. And why? Quite simply because it hadn't been brought up during their questioning of Laver. Well, that sounds totally legit. Several relatives, however, described both Barron and Laver as extremely homophobic, and one said that Barron even called her own little boy a gay slur on more than one occasion. Laver has been quoted as saying that he is "quote unquote uncomfortable" being around gay people during the period from 2013 to 2017 we already know that Anthony had been under the supervision of DCFS in some capacity or another we also know that at least 13 phone calls were made to the department by teachers counselors relatives and the police people were concerned about the welfare of the children in that home in the 1100 block of East Avenue K DCFS determined that the investigation needed to be halted because some of the children involved had recanted their statements or changed their stories. Um, excuse me? I'm sorry, but children changing their stories or recanting after they told authorities about abuse they were receiving at home and it wasn't looked into any further? I call fucking bullshit. Bullshit. In later testimony before the grand jury that indicted Heather Barron and Laver for murder, Ms. Vernon, the DCFS caseworker, said that her decision relied on the children recanting their prior claims of abuse. She testified that she was unaware that victims of abuse often retract their accounts. In her notes, Vernon had written that she was unwilling to draw any conclusions about abuse based solely on what she had been told by the children. Please know this, I know how hard the DCFS departments work in every city and they need to keep working to keep children safe, but it does beg the question, what kind of training are these people receiving? Something is very, very wrong with this system. It is not protecting the most vulnerable people in our societies i also want to note here that during my research i saw a quote from a higher up in the dcfs about the systemic failures of caseworkers especially in cases such as anthony's and that of gabriel fernandez now i'm not quoting here but the gist was if you start questioning the actions of the staff and their decisions in matters like this it creates an environment which leads to higher staff turnaround because they feel that they are not trusted um good question them hold them to account the death of these children is squarely in the hands of the people who have made idiotic decisions like closing files or choosing that allegations were unsubstantiated and not investigating more thoroughly some people have argued that another high-profile death of a child may cause a swing in the la county's foster care policies and indeed after gabriel fernandez foster numbers went up this could possibly lead to some children being removed from their homes when it's not absolutely necessary just in an attempt to prevent further tragedies but if the people are doing their job properly they will be able to make informed and decent decisions am I right after Gabriel Fernandez was murdered by his mother and her boyfriend it was reported that thousands more calls were being made to the DCF child abuse hotline than ever before This was obviously because people were shocked at what had happened and rightly so we should be shocked, but also we should be reporting anything that doesn't seem right whenever we see or hear about it. Too often people are worried about what others may think of them. If they learned that they were the one who called and reported the suspected abuse, but just think to yourself, how would you feel if it was happening and you saw or heard something and you did nothing to change it or help that child? What's more important? It's better that someone who is doing nothing wrong is investigated and the claims are found to be unfounded or unsubstantiated than to say nothing at all and another child ends up being a a statistic. In a Blue Ribbon Commission report after the Gabriel Fernandez case, several recommendations were made, including more people hired as social workers, increasing the training for social workers, including a strong emphasis on how social workers and law enforcement can further investigate when children provide inconsistent statements or they retract previous statements of abuse or lack thereof. It was also recommended that DCF should better develop social workers' investigative skills and that they would need to understand that investigating allegations of abuse or neglect means that they are gathering facts or evidence that may actually be used in a court case, criminal or dependency. There was a legislative audit committee which approved a bipartisan request to conduct an audit of LA's count, LA County's child welfare system in the wake of Anthony's torture and death. Some of you may not agree with me. Look, that's fine. And I'm happy to have this debate with you either on Facebook, on our page or on Patreon. All i ask is that you keep it civil and i I, i've actually decided that i may have a live discussion about this at a later time so stay tuned to give you some idea about what we're dealing with in a short two and a half year period nine reports related to physical abuse of the children anthony and his siblings were deemed by dcf workers to be unfounded or inconclusive but no investigations occurred One of the reports filed during that time was filed by a DCFS caseworker. She noticed bruising on the face and arm of one of Anthony's siblings. The caseworkers are mandated by law to make a report of things that they find just like that. I have a recording for you to listen to, and yes, I know that it's been a lot, but in this recording, it was released as part of the unsealing of the grand jury testimony. We can actually hear... That the caseworker and the child abuse hotline employee really aren't taking this matter seriously. Have a listen.
1: What's our allegation? Would you say? <laughs> I know you have to have to put <laughs> to Cover our butt. I know <laughs> to cover.
0: <laughs> Personally, if that were me in that job, I would be taking every report seriously, and knowing that the calls are being recorded, I most certainly would not be making a joke out of what the allegations are. The DCFS claimed that they did take this very seriously and over a three year period, they were working with Anthony and his family. No less than 12 caseworkers were assigned to the family's case. Now, David and Maria Barron went in person to the DCFS offices to ask for answers about the investigation into Heather and Lever. They were turned away by Vernon, the caseworker we heard about before she gave them incorrect information that they could only get updates directly from heather barron they were completely unaware that actually they could have filed a petition a formal petition asking the court to intervene why weren't they told vernon went and met with anthony at lincoln elementary school in the last week of september 2015. anthony said to her that his mother was being nicer now and wasn't locking the door anymore which was a new thing. In October, Anthony and his siblings recanted their allegations of abuse. In December 2015, Vernon used the computerized scoring system at the DCFS again to rate the family's risk of abuse and neglect and was given a high rating with a recommendation for greater intervention. However, along with her supervisor, they both decided against any further action. Another call was made to the DCFS in April of 2016, this time by Mildred Blue. She was a teacher who had been attempting to help Heather at a domestic violence centre. Mildred reported that she observed bruises on the children and that she'd been told Leva was forcing them to fight with each other at home. She further said that the children appeared hungry and that one of them had eaten out of the trash. The children were interviewed by a dcfs caseworker but they all denied the allegations the same caseworker tried to contact Leva at barron's home but was unsuccessful and therefore decided there was no need to follow up and close the file a sheriff's investigator also received mildred blue's dcfs report but he also testified that he didn't feel there was a need to follow up even if the dcfs report was unfounded There is a requirement for detectives to follow up on a DCFS report and to conduct an independent investigation of child abuse. Toward the end of 2016, yet another call was made to DCFS child abuse hotline. There are few details, however, caseworkers marked the file as unfounded. It was around this time that Heather decided to remove Anthony from Lincoln Elementary School and the educators who had previously reported the abuse, and he was enrolled at El Dorado. This is where the family's history was unknown. It's also at that time that she cut ties with her brother, her sister, and her sister-in-law. Maria Barron had reported to the DCFS that he was being locked up and was not allowed to use the bathroom. Anthony's teacher said that even though they had tried to bring it up and get more information from him He never confided anything about what was happening at home And he always defended his mother if they brought up the bruises and marks on his body She also commented that Anthony was a sweet soul whenever she needed help with something Anthony was there He would also bring her treats from the cafeteria. His light was clearly very strong On the last day of school at Lincoln Elementary, Anthony wrote a letter to his teacher, Harmony Bell, and this is what it said. Dear Mrs. Bell, thank you for teaching me everything you could. It was such a blessing to meet you. I just hope that when I'm going to sixth grade that you can come to New Vista so I can still see you. I hope that you can come to my high school, middle school and college, that way we'll see each other for school years without a problem because how close we are and how we are best buddies or friends. I just want to stay with you forever, but I can't. I just hope you have a good rest of your life because you already know that I'm going to have a good life. Love, Anthony Avalos, your friend. Whenever he would visit his grandmother, Concepcion, he never wanted to go home she believed the allegations of abuse and she said that it ranged from him being kept in closets being beaten and burned with cigarettes and he confided in his grandmother and told her that they were physically abusing him at home it had been going on for a long time Concepcion had also at one time filed for custody of anthony but her request was denied she knew that anthony was being locked in the closets and burned with cigarettes David and Maria Barron also filed for for custody, but their request, of course, was denied. There were no signs that the children were unsafe, and the DCFS deemed that the requests were unnecessary. Victor Avalos, Anthony's father, begged Barron to allow him to have custody of the children, or at least Anthony. Victor lives in Mexico, and he was unable to secure the proper paperwork to go to the United States in order to get his son baron constantly refused to release custody of anthony into victor into victor's care the two were only ever able to speak over skype with each other and after contacting child services victor believed that eventually they would contact him to assist him in getting custody of his son but that phone call never came The Baron continually played dumb whenever the police or DCFS workers would visit their home. I mean, I don't expect that she'd jump up and down and admit to what was going on, but this was her son. She didn't even look like she was concerned. She could have taken him to the hospital. She could have got help to stop the abuse. She was in a VFM, but she didn't do anything. Now this is a trigger warning. The medical examiner's report documented injuries all over Anthony's body. There were injuries to his side, both his left and right hips, his arms and even on his feet. There were abrasions and bruises all over his entire body, his face and his forehead. The coroner reported circular marks on his stomach and below his nipple, abrasions on his back and both of his knees, contusions or injuries and scabs to all four of his extremities. He was thin, malnourished, and his ribs were exposed. The coroner indicated that there was blunt force trauma to his head and injury to his brain, with multiple other blunt force trauma to his body. Lever admitted at some point that he had beaten Anthony with a belt, but the prosecutor John Hatami said that he had also been beaten with a vacuum hose, a vacuum cord, fists, wrestling moves, chokeholds, feet, slapping him in the face making him kneel on rice with hot sauce, slamming his head against the floor, locking him up for days at a time in his room without food or water, making him hold books and weights, and making him fight with other children in order to be fed. When he arrived, the nurses at Antelope Valley Hospital observed that Anthony was, quote, in full cardiac arrest, suffered reddened eyes, suffered an abrasion on the bridge of his nose suffered large scabbed abrasions on both of his knees was intubated because he could not breathe on his own suffered a bruise on his right shoulder suffered a bruise and cut on his left hip area suffered bruises and abrasions on both legs on buttocks suffered bruises and abrasions on his right arm and elbow suffered cuts on his back suffered an abrasion on his left side of his stomach, had red dots on the side of his stomach, suffered a bruise to the right hip, suffered bruises on his left ankle, suffered bruises on his right foot, suffered bruises and abrasions on his forehead, nose, mouth, in between his eyes and his right cheek, suffered a pink scabbing abrasion on his neck, and had a brain bleed. Anthony also suffered from a traumatic brain injury." The grand jury also heard from Anthony's six-year-old sister, Destiny, and she told them that he was also abused by Baron and Leva. When asked, she said that she still loved her mother and that she missed Anthony. She was shown a photo during testimony and asked to describe it. She said that Leva had made her and her seven-year-old brother, Raphael, kneel in the corner because they were in trouble. She said that if they cried because it hurt, laver or baron would put more rice there for them to kneel on the deputy da asked was there ever blood on the rice and the girl replied yes and that after they were done with the punishment destiny would be made to clean up the mess she told the grand jury that anthony in particular was forced onto the rice a lot and he always had quote unquote boo-boos on his knees Laver would drag Anthony around on the carpet and give the boy rug burn, and sometimes they would all be made to stand in the corner from the time that they would get home from school until around 8 pm. At times, the children were tied together and forced to carry books with ra- weights on them. They would crawl on their knees and be made to hold them for 10 minutes or more at a time. If the books fell or they were unable to hold them long enough, they would be made to start over and over or another hour would be added to the total time that they were expected to carry on with this activity. Anthony was told to carry a brick as punishment on one occasion. Someone had thrown a brick through the window of the car owned by Baron and Lever. Baron stood by and watched this punishment taking place, with Anthony crying, yelling at him to shut up from across the room. The children were forced to do what was called the captain's chair, they would be expected to stand against the wall with their knees bent like sitting on a chair, except no chair. If they moved or if they cried, they would be made to start over again. If they didn't carry out their punishments correctly, the children were made to complete workouts from a list of exercises that had been completed for them by Lever. Destiny told the jury about wrestling matches that Lever would make them have as another punishment. Destiny and Raphael would be made to beat Anthony up. She described having to pinch or punch him hard, depending on what Lever told them to do. She said the entire time, Heather Barron would be watching and never asked for anyone to stop. The sister also told the grand jury that Lever would beat Anthony with a vacuum cord while their mother looked on, saying nothing at all. Makeshift weapons were fashioned from cords or materials around the home, including belts which were used in the battery of Anthony. The grand jury were told of instances where the children were being forced to eat plain peanut butter sandwiches or peanut butter on a corn tortilla. Laver would then time them for two or five minutes, and if they didn't eat that in time, he would put sriracha or tapatillo on it. Sometimes they would smother Anthony's face in the hot sauce and force it into his mouth and down his throat. For those of you who don't know, both of them are chili sauces. Tapatio has a Scoville rating of around 3,000 and is much hotter than Sriracha which has a Scoville rating of about 1,000 to 2,500 units. This might be the only food that they would have been given and to ensure that the children weren't sneaking food in the middle of the night, Baron and Leva had alarms and locks on the bedroom doors. The children were told that real food was a privilege and because they were in trouble they weren't allowed to have any. Then there was also the time that they force-fed Anthony. They would beat him and slam him into the walls. Both Baron and Laver would dangle Anthony by his ankles and then drop him repeatedly on his head, according to destiny. The kids were denied use of the bathroom and if ever there was an accident, Leva would force the children to lay down, hold their legs and rub their faces in their pee. This brings me to something important. Little six-year-old Destiny told the grand jury that when police or social workers would come to the house, she had lied to them, because her mother, Heather Barron, had told the children that they were not to talk about labor. The kids were being threatened with punishment if they said anything that would cause upset in the home. Have I still got you there? It's a lot, I know. Now these children were quite clearly going through something. It's also deeply disturbing that the professionals who were charged with the duty to assess and protect these children didn't think that it was strange the kids had recanted or changed their stories about the abuse they'd told them. I know that kids say stupid shit all the time, and I know that sometimes they're just little liars, but even if they were lying, why wouldn't an adult make sure that their home environment really was safe, instead of just closing the inquiries because they recanted. According to Destiny, whenever Anthony was in trouble, he would cry a lot, and Baron would become even more angry with him. This no doubt increased the amount of abuse that Anthony was receiving, compared to his siblings. He was, according to his sister, being punished every day. Sadly though, the children also witnessed the abuse of their mother by Laver. He would slap her in front of the children, and this was happening on a daily basis. Sadly, it was repeat behavior from a previous relationship for Heather, not with Victor Avalos. Leva and Baron met after her brother David introduced the two. David and Leva were co-workers at the Santa Clarita shipping facility. Leva had a history of gang violence, allegedly with the MS-13 gang, and was no stranger to inflicting domestic violence on his partners. After the pair had their first child together, the abusive behavior started up once again. Over time, the violence against Anthony became more frequent, more violent, and although the police say it had nothing to do with it, it is reported from more than one source that it increased when Anthony labelled himself as gay. Before we get all angry with David Barron, he and his wife Maria were trying everything they could to get the children taken away from Barron and Labor. They had made several reports to DCFS, and even after Anthony's death, they had applied for custody of the other kids, but their requests were denied. Destiny told the grand jury that on the day before the 911 call, Anthony had been acting weird. Baron told the children that they were going to go to hospital, but Anthony told his mother that all he wanted to do was sleep. Baron left Anthony to sleep, and she said that when she tried to wake him up, he wasn't breathing. Baron had also told Laver that she was taking Anthony to the hospital, and the grand jury were told that Laver picked Anthony up from the armpits and dropped him on his head to the floor more than 10 times. When Anthony wasn't waking up, Baron threw cold water on him. He still didn't wake up, so she carried him downstairs, and that's where we heard her award-winning 911 call. Destiny recalled looking at her brother and said he looked frozen. He was taken by first responders to the Antelope Valley Hospital. In June 2014, Barron was evaluated by a PhD psychologist, Luis Ramirez. He wrote in his report, quote, Based solely on the information provided by Ms. Barron, the assessor believes that her capacity to provide suitable care for her children is severely limited by her poor parenting skills, poor judgment, and denial and lack of awareness of her mental health issues. Barron's specific mental health diagnosis is redacted in the records. Barron refused to participate in individual therapy, which was recommended as the most essential. There was no indication that Mark Millman had read the report or followed up to see the services that had been provided or if they'd been successfully completed. There were in-home services provided by the Children's Centre of Antelope Valley, and they were designed to improve her parenting skills, which Barron did participate in. The reports from the Children's Centre, though, were not encouraging. Her progress report from July 2014 said Barron was having a hard time maintaining her composure when the children were misbehaving. Later in August, their report showed that Barron was overwhelmed. There was a recommendation again for baron to have therapy but once again she refused saying that she wasn't interested in talking about the past in october of 2014 wendy wright another counselor at the children's center who spent significant time with anthony and his mother called the child abuse hotline she wanted to report that baron had grabbed one of anthony's siblings violently and dragged him across the room consistently talked about her children in derogatory terms and displayed, quote, nothing but anger towards those children end quote. Wright told the hotline operator that Millman was slow to respond to her phone calls and did not seem to want to take action when she finally did reach him. She felt as though her concerns were being blown off by Millman. She reported that Baron was very aggressive and angry and showed no nurturing to any of her children, even to the very young baby. She further reported that she had observed Baron yanking Destiny's hair while she was brushing it and calling the children names like Punk and Bitch. Shane Bulkley, another DCFS worker, was assigned to investigate Wright's report. He wrote in his notes that Baron cursed, yelled, and acknowledged hitting the children with a belt. Bulkley quoted Milman as saying, Given the children and their age and their behaviour, she is doing all she can. She does cuss and yell. But is doing all she can to provide appropriate care. Wrong. Neither Bulkley or Milman were concerned. Bulkley wrote that he observed Barron and her children as "quote unquote" interacting positively, and "quote the mother and children had secure attachment as seen by their interaction." End quote. It was later reported that he seemed to be heavily influenced by Milman, who had expressed zero concern about this family. Part of every investigation is the Automated Risk Assessment, the Structured Decision-Making Tool. This showed a high risk of abuse and neglect and recommended promotion of the case to court. The caseworker decided to override the decision and stated that the children were already involved in the VFM and receiving services. Somehow, despite Barron's own admission, the caseworker closed the matter as inconclusive for physical abuse, as well as the emotional abuse and general neglect factors that had been reported. Millman is Mark Millman, a supervisor from the DCFS. I've got here audio um, of the phone call that Wendy Wright made to the DCFS child abuse hotline. Have a listen.
1: The entire time I was there, and I was there twice in the same day, because it takes about two hours per child. So I was there in the morning, then I came back in the afternoon. Um, And I was there a very long time. Um, I saw nothing but anger towards those children. Mm -hmm. Verbal abuse, emotional abuse. She showed absolutely no affection towards any of them. Okay. Even the two weeks, at that time the baby was two weeks old.
0: Okay. And then on September 18, 2015, Gia Gro was the vice principal of Lincoln Elementary School where Anthony was attending. She called the DCFS child abuse hotline after having a conversation with young Anthony. Have a listen to this.
1: Um, a little boy told, uh, um, told me today that he moved out of his home and into his aunt's home. Mm-hmm. He and his brothers and sisters because his mom was hitting them. Yeah. I'm locking them up in their room for long hours. Um, I'm, looking for my notes. I'm thanking them, putting them to do captain's chairs in the corner. What, in the corner? Okay, what is that, captain's, captain's chair? Captain's chairs, he demonstrated it for me where he has to put his back up against the wall and kneel down, like bend down. Uh-huh. So it's like, I mean, it's a, it's a thigh strengthening exercise. But uh-huh. It could also be considered like discipline. Uh-huh. If you're making a child do that for a long time, okay. they're hurting their thighs. Okay. And you said locking them up where? In the, um, their rooms for hours on end. And so the aunt went and took them. Okay. And they've now gone to go live with the aunt.
0: On November 5th, another call to the DCFS child abuse hotline was made by another therapist at the Children's Centre. This is the call that was evaluated out. The therapist had made several observations, including that Baron was easily frustrated and agitated and that she had threatened physical harm to the children whilst she was there. There was no explanation from the DCFS as to why this allegation was evaluated out. When Heather came to pick up the children from her brothers, David and his wife physically blocked her from taking the children, and they called 911. Sheriff's Deputy Michael Gilardo responded and called the child abuse hotline to report what had happened. He said they seemed pretty shaken up when he talked to them about it. And it was his recommendation that the children did not go home with their mother. Here's some of the audio from the call from um, Sheriff's Deputy Gelardo.
1: I stuck in and talked uh, with a couple of the kids. And a couple of the kids have told me some things that uh, make me not want to release them right now. Um, I'm not going to release them. Uh, basically, they're saying that the guy Kareem that I referred to earlier, mm-hmm. he, um, he's been pretty physically abusive to him. Hit him with belts in the face, hit him with belts on the leg. Uh, he's put him in like a seated squat position against the wall for tons of time on end. He locked him in the bedrooms. Um, apparently, he held the youngest, Raphael, by his ankles over uh, the flight of stairs. And that wasn't even from Raphael, that was from Destiny gave me that information. And, uh, I tend to believe the kid. they seem pretty shooken up when I talk to them about it. Um, Mom, at this point, says she's willing to leave them here with Brother. Brother is willing to have them stay here. Okay. So that's where I'm at. Okay, so you're leaving them with the Brother for, yeah. um, for how long? Um... Yeah, I guess until you guys come out and uh, do that referral that you guys have open right now, that five-day referral.
0: The next day, David Barron called the child abuse hotline himself, and he told them what he'd been told by the children. He said that they were so hungry, they'd been hoarding food. He also told the hotline that Barron had been cutting herself, and he had photos of her trying to slit her wrists. He told them she often said she'd hated life. He told the hotline worker that Laver was a member of the MS-13 gang, and he was afraid of what he might do next. Two days later, David and Maria were visited by Ms. Vernon from the DCFS, another caseworker at their home. They recounted the numerous reports of abuse to Vernon. Anthony told her, Heather is my old mum. This is my new house. I'm never going to see Heather again. She locks us up in our rooms and makes us starving. After the meeting, Vernon contacted two other counsellors who had been working with the family for seven months, and each were supportive of Barron's parenting, reporting that neither had ever heard anything from the children about abuse or neglect. Vernon was new to the department. Unfortunately, even though she said she was happy to leave them with her brother, Barron still had custody of her children. DCFS did not make any determination that they were at risk and Barron took them home again in the last week of September. Interestingly, in 2017, four DCFS social workers and two supervisors were charged with felony child abuse and falsifying public records in connection with the Gabriel Fernandez case. Vernon wrote in her notes, quote, At the conclusion of my investigation, the situation was stabilised because the children had recanted their stories. End quote. Oh, Ms. Vernon, how you were wrong. Very, very wrong. According to the DCFS in a statement, they said, All DCFS employees are held to the highest standards to ensure that the public trust in our service is honoured and maintained. My question, therefore, is very simple. Who sets the bar for this so-called highest standards? Wyatt another sheriff's detective was reviewing the latest allegations and he decided that he would close his investigation after one failed attempt to contact Lever. He never contacted Officer Gelardo. In December 2015 Vernon again marked the allegations that had been received from Groh, Gelardo and David Barron as inconclusive. Anthony died in the hospital from his injuries the day after he was admitted. He never regained consciousness. The evidence was clear, Barron and Lever brutally tortured and intentionally murdered 10-year-old Anthony. Sadly, this case doesn't currently have any ending or justice for Anthony, yet. Laver and Barron are still in jail and they're waiting for their trial to start. Both of them have pleaded not guilty to the charges for which they were indicted by the grand jury. The other children were taken from the home and they were placed in foster care. Anthony's funeral was attended by so many, the pallbearers and family members were dressed in superhero shirts and capes. In 2019, Maria and David Barron, Anthony's aunt and uncle, were denied custody of the other siblings. According to their attorney, Brian Claypool, quote, they, the DCFS, deprived this loving couple of two beautiful kids who were also abused of having a loving home. The sole reason why LA County DCFS did not allow this family to take in these two kids is because they posted a negative picture on social media that made the DCFS look bad. That's how evil and wicked this Department of Children and Family Services is." End quote. The picture in question was a photograph of Anthony in the hospital shortly before he died. They've since filed a petition seeking a court reversal of the decision. Anthony's siblings are currently in foster Maria said, We were always their safe haven. It's not just hurting us, it's hurting them and our own kids. Our kids are looking forward to being with their cousins, reunited. It's been years and it's just broke me all over again just to know that we're not going to be able to be with them. It's not fair. She went on to say that she and her husband made the decision to alert authorities about the abuse and they took a chance, hoping that the DCFS were going to remove the kids from their hellish situation and bring them to their family to take care of them. She said it feels like it all backfired because they were not allowed to see the children. Heather refused to allow them to see the children after they made their reports. Initially, the prosecution was seeking the death penalty against Laver and Barron, but in a politically charged decision, the District Attorney George Cat- Gascon told all of his prosecutors that they could no longer seek the death penalty because it quote, wasn't the answer, close quote. There is now a petition to recall Gascon, initiated by the prosecutor of this particular case, John Hatami. The link to the petition group is actually on our Facebook page and I encourage everybody everywhere, please go and sign it. This guy is dangerous. On October 30th, 2018, Barron and Leva were indicted on the charges of murder and torture along with special circumstances of murder involving torture. Later, in 2019, Anthony's uncle, aunt, grandmother and other family members filed a lawsuit against Los Angeles County for $50 million. They claimed that the DCFS bailed in the duty to prevent the death of Anthony at the hands of his mother and Laver. The attorney for the family, Brian Claypool, said, quote, LA County DCFS has ignored murder after murder after murder of children in LA County. It's going to take today a $50 million lawsuit to get their attention to bring about the necessary change within the DCFS system. This lawsuit today we have filed will create transparency within an agency that acts more like the Central Intelligence Agency, close quote. The lawsuit claims that the DCFS staff were inadequately trained for interviewing young children and claims that the DCFS failed to properly investigate the claims of physical and sexual abuse. They failed to review DCFS history. They failed to coordinate with law enforcement, which was a violation of their own policies. They failed to complete the SDMT, which scores the likelihood of abuse or danger in a family and makes a recommendation of intervention both in a timely and truthful manner and failure to adjudicate the presence of an urgent need of imminent danger to Anthony and his siblings. The deaths of both Gabriel Fernandez and Noah Cuatro, both of Palmdale are cited in the case to strengthen the allegations of systemic failures by the DCFS. In fact, one of the same caseworkers who had been disciplined for errors in the Fernandez case was also working as the supervisor of the caseworker who managed Anthony's case. Sadly, Anthony's family were told that they couldn't seek punitive damages against the agency, and they have been advised that they will need to support their claims, one of which is wrongful death, if their case is to remain intact. So that brings us to the end of a very sad story, and one that is still developing as we wait for a trial date to be set again for Leva and Barron. Further updates will be posted on our Facebook page and in future episodes. Thanks for joining me. Remember, the truth is mighty and it will prevail. Until next time, friends.